Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. No greater faction than the action movie scene. Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. Your satisfaction, action on the silver screen. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Today we're going to be talking about the uh, 2021 release Hydra, and I paused ever so briefly there because the release date of this film is not consistent depending on what region of the world that you're in. However, as I am an English speaker, and I imagine the vast majority of you listening are probably along the same lines, then yeah, it came out in 2021 if you're in America. It did not come out in Europe anywhere to my knowledge you might be able to get it depending on your local access but i can't get it in the united kingdom let's put it that way um i was able to review this film thanks to the power of the vpn and uh hi-yah, which you'll hear me and mike discuss briefly uh, in the chat which yes this episode brings mike back from the spider-man episode and a lot of people seem to really like that episode so Mike came back very, very quickly. Uh, we actually recorded this episode in the same week we recorded the Spider-Man episode because we just had a great time talking Spider-Man. And it was actually his suggestion that I check out Hydra. This film originally came out in 2019 in Japan. I have no clue what the budget was or how much money it made because none of that information seems to be easily uh, available. This is a low-budget film and I'm pretty sure it did decently for its budget, but again, it's a very, very, very small budget film. A lot of people on Action Twitter and the action community in general really raved about this film when it came out. I had actually been following the events of this film, oh, for quite some time. Uh, I believe my friend Lee over at Film Combat Syndicate actually was the first person to start really covering this film and giving it some much-needed signal boosting. However, I've been following the Instagram page and seeing stuff about Hydra online for probably as long as he's been covering it uh, separately to his own coverage. But again, like a lot of people, I had no way to actually see it. So you were just judging it based on screenshots and the occasional bit of footage that would come out. And then eventually we got a proper trailer. And this film looks like an action film fan's dream. But as you'll hear me discuss shortly... That was not the film that I actually watched, and that's all I'm going to say about that, but uh, yeah, I will say right off the bat that when I first watched this film, it didn't live up to the film that I had made in my head. However, the film that I actually watched was still very enjoyable, and I liked it, but uh, yeah, I do think that, especially at least the American trailer, it uh, it basically puts all of the fight scenes in the film together, and uh, tries to make you think that you've only seen a taste of what the film has to offer. Uh, no, if you haven't seen this film, you've seen the fight scenes in this film in the trailer. Um, obviously, some of them have a few extra bits that aren't in the trailer for obvious reasons, but you've, you've pretty much seen everything there is to see. Um, this film is much more of a character piece and um, an acting journey than anything else. I, however, do have to say that if they ever manage to make another one, uh, and as you'll hear in a bit, uh, there's a very good chance that 
the people who made this film want to make another one uh, from the way that the story of the film goes, I would be down for that. And I think that if the second film could perhaps lean into the fights a bit harder than it does in this film, that that could be a real action classic in the making. I wouldn't want them to lose the characters and the journey that the characters go on through in this film is important. So it would still need to find a way to balance the more heartfelt moments and the struggles that the main character goes through. But I think it could be done. Like I say, I think the biggest enemy of this film is expectations. The synopsis of the film is, After retiring as an assassin, Takashi leads a quiet life as a chef at a sushi bar, where he secretly watches over the daughter of a former associate. His peace is short-lived. Soon he is recruited for a final job that he simply cannot refuse. Now, I'm going to attempt to tell you the cast and the director, but I do apologize if I get the pronunciations wrong. The director was uh, Kensuki Sonomura, and it stars Masanori Mimoto, Miu Tasuku Nagasi, and if the first name Masanori Mimoto sounds familiar, he was in Enter the Fat Dragon and Yakuza Apocalypse. I haven't actually seen Yakuza Apocalypse, but Enter the Fat Dragon was a good, uh, solid, fun little flick, and uh, I'm talking about the Donnie Yen version, not the original Samo Hung. They are completely different films. I don't really understand why they have the same name, but uh, yeah. So I'm going to hand you over to myself and Mike and uh, yeah, leave you in good company. I'll see you for the outro, but until then, have fun, guys. So please welcome back for the second time, Mike Scott. I don't need to give him an introduction again because this will likely have come out not long after he's just been on the show because he was nice enough to come back and do two appearances pretty close together because he knows that I need all the help I can get. So thank you, Mike, for coming back. <laughs> no problem, man. Happy to do it. It's it's always important when you're starting out a podcast to just try it. If there's one thing I know, when you start a podcast, you got to lean on your friends initially because you you need those initial guests um, to kind of get those first episodes done. And so you got to just, you just call in favors. You're just calling your friends and going, Hey, come be on my podcast. I, I need an episode. So I'm happy to do it, man. And I, and I will just stress that I wanted Mike to come anyway. The fact that he is also my friend, it just happens to be a happy coincidence. <laughs> so today we're going to be, as I already said earlier, talking about Hydra. And, uh, I think we might be coming at this from two different perspectives because I watched Hydra for the very first time. I'd never seen this film before. And Mike, you've seen this film before, I take it, when it first came out? Yeah, when it first dropped. In the U.S., it was... um, It's actually an older movie. It was released initially in 2019, but it didn't get a U.S. distribution until 2021. And it went straight to uh, Haya here in the U.S., which is Welgo's uh, streaming service. And so the day... The day it dropped, I basically had a bunch of people in my DMs being like, you got to watch Hydra, man. And uh, and so I watched it way too late at night, um, <laughs> but still watched it. And uh, and then obviously rewatched it again just last night in, in preparation for this. Yeah, I saw I saw your post on social media and I saw the the legions of people that were um, very happy that you were watching Hydra. And I thought. Oh, okay. I didn't realize it had that much of a a, a following, if that ma- if that makes sense. Because obviously in the UK, and I'm going to be pretty upfront about this for anybody listening, because I've had several people ask me in my DMs, 
there is no distribution deal for Hydra. Um, I also watched it on Hire with the magical powers of a VPN, which I will not be explaining until one of them decides to sponsor me, and then I will happily shill for whichever one does so. But until then, Nord. <laughs> listening Nord, he's 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 right there. <laughs> <laughs> ah. So I'm going to let you start us off because I'm very curious as to what your thoughts are. And you're the guest. And I have a sneaky suspicion that we might be having different opinions on this one. Well, I yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm a fan. I mean, I'm the one that suggested this one. I I like this movie. And and I came at it primarily because um, when I had people asking me about it, I I looked into it some more because it had been really kind of under the radar. And what really uh stuck out for me was that it's the directorial uh or i can't remember if it's his debut or not but it's directed by kensuke sonomura who is one of my favorite japanese action choreographers stuntmen action designers um has done just an absolute buttload of uh great japanese action in his career um and so of course i wanted to see it and uh, and then, you know, I watched it and it was not I will fully admit it was not the movie that I was expecting it to be when I started watching it. Uh, yeah, because you know, it, it definitely doesn't have it is not wall to wall action. I mean, it's it's almost a, it's almost this weird, quirky, indie uh, coffee shop comedy drama. Um, and then like this martial arts Yakuza movie breaks out, you know? And so it is, it is a bit strange. I I can understand why for some people it, it might not be exactly what they want or what they were expecting. But the the thing that ultimately, and like I said, when I first watched it, I was watching it way too late at night. It was like maybe two in the morning when I was watching this thing. And um, so I'm, I'm struggling, but then we get to the two fights and obviously we'll talk about those. There's two fights that sort of make up the end of the movie and pretty in particular, the last fight. Yeah. And I immediately bolted up out of my chair thinking I've never seen a fight like this in a movie before. Um, and, and I'll break down, we you know we can break down why, but all of a sudden that like re characterized everything for me. And then watching it again last night, um, knowing what the movie is, I actually I loved it last night because I, I I was able to actually revel in the little witty banter and stuff that's going on in the restaurant and our boy um common writer beast being this uh this uh like uh you know lovelorn sort of douchey waiter but that's actually a good guy and stuff like that. Um, you know, so I, I really enjoyed it. Last night is where it kicked over to me actually really loving the movie so i would suggest scott that if you since you're saying you think we're going to have different opinions on this which is fine um maybe give it a month and then give it kind of an, another watch because the other really great thing about hydra and uh i wish more movies were like this it's 77 minutes i mean it is in and out in like absolutely no time i i definitely appreciated the fact that it was only 77 minutes <clears throat> no it to be clear, um, my thoughts on the film were kind of similar to something else I watched this week in that I enjoyed it, but I don't think it was it, it left me a bit confused and cold to begin with. And then I've thought about it since. And I do agree with you that I think that the ending of the film helps 
give the other scenes more meaning. Um, I enjoyed the banter for, anyway, because uh, I, I just like that sort of interaction between characters. That's how I am in real life. So whenever there's characters that have that sort of a relationship, I always find them more relatable and more realistic for me. I know not everybody is like that. Um, I did have to chuckle because, yeah, Carmen Rider. And also... I briefly got excited because the uh, and I don't ask, don't ask me to tell you what his name is because I can't remember. But the guy that uh, was um, working in the laundromat that was giving out like the missions of who needed to go when he first came on screen, I was like, "Common Rider Decade, is that you?" And then he took his glasses off, and I'm like, "Oh no, it's not you!" But for that brief second, I was like, "How many riders are in this thing?" Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, no, um, it, it is funny because I initially it's actually I forgot when when uh, Beast shows up and uh, uh, Tosaku Nagase is his name or, or I guess, I, yeah, Nagase Tosaku. But um, I actually recognized him more because it's been so long since I've watched Wizard. I actually recognized him more from the other show that, you know, the other Japanese thing that I flip shit for all the time. Uh, he's in high and low <laughs> and. Uh, and so I'm like, oh, shit, he's a rude boy. And then I'm like, wait a minute. He's also a common rider beast. And I knew that when I watched High and Low, because when he showed up in High and Low, I was flipping out to my wife. But that's oh, common rider beast. Um, but uh, but uh, I, I now High and Low has so like supplanted that in my memory that it took me a while to remember that he was beast. Um, but, you know, I, I've seen him pop up in some other stuff, too. And I just I do always enjoy seeing him uh, pop up in things. And, and I, I you know he's he's a lot of fun in this. I, I I don't know how much, Scott, I don't know how much you want to spoil this. Should we? Yeah, stay no, 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 you can you can spoil it. Like you said, the film's been out for a while. If like me, you're from the UK and you want to know if the film is worth watching. I would say it is. I have issues with it that I will get into. But if you don't want to be spoiled about the film, Go away. Google what a VPN is. Go watch it. Come back. I just I love at the end when he's trying. He's like reformed and he's saying I'm trying to be more like Takashi. I I I I thought he had a nice little arc in this movie for for not having too much to do. I thought he had a nice little arc in the movie. I thought he was just going to be one of those typical, uh, you know, sort of creepy leches that you see very often in in Japanese cinema and anime. Yes. And no, and instead he had a nice little arc that I thought that that kind of made me uh, made me happy. So, um, and again, that was a lot of stuff that I didn't get the first time I watched it uh, because it was so late. And also, I found it the first time I watched it. I found it thoroughly confusing because I was sort of already in a delirium, and there's a lot of moving parts. And this is one of those movies that is so lean and so spare. That it it explains everything, but it certainly doesn't hold your hand explaining everything. Um, and uh, and this time being awake and watching it at a reasonable hour, I was like, oh right, okay, all this I this all makes more sense to me now. Yeah, top tip to take away from the action addicts is be awake when you watch your films; you'll understand them a lot more. It sounds simple, but you'd be amazed how many people don't do it. <laughs> well, and especially because sometimes you know. You're going to be in this boat now that you're starting this podcast. Um, sometimes you just have to watch movies. If, if you're like me, I, I certainly would never call myself a critic, but I do occasionally write for websites and I obviously have podcasts. And sometimes you just have to watch a movie and you don't necessarily 
get the luxury of like watching it in the optimal circumstances. You just kind of have to watch it when you can. Um, and, and that's not, you know, that's not always fair to the movie. Like when I do, when I do a proper review, I really do try and make sure that I I'm watching it in the, you know, the most ideal circumstances um, as opposed to the studios who give me terrible screeners that are the least optimal <laughs> circumstances to watch a movie. But, uh, but yes, I did not first watch Hydra under anything remotely resembling optimal circumstances. <laughs> See, it's funny because I remember finding out about Hydra before it had, um, a US distribution and I'm pretty confident that it was because of our friend Lee over at Film Combat Syndicate. I'm pretty sure he was promoting the hell out of it pre it getting any kind of a deal and I remember following them on Instagram seeing the footage and being very excited and then I think the biggest problem and again it's not the film's fault and it's not a case of it wasn't what I wanted because what I got I actually quite enjoyed. Its biggest problem is its trailer. And this is a this is because a few of the things I'm going to say all come under the same umbrella. And it starts with the trailer, which is that the trailer was cut and edited in such a way to make you think that you were watching a low budget martial arts film that the second the story is, you know, here's the setup. But really, you're here to watch these ridiculously quick fights. It's like this is like, you know, the next broken path, maybe. Uh, (laughs) And of course. Then you realize, no, if you've seen the trailer, you've seen the fight scenes that are in this film, because I can count them on two fingers. <laughs> the two you've already mentioned. That's it. <laughs> and But I think, like you said, because the rest of the film is quite endearing and the characters um, are so well thought out and fleshed out that it, it feels more like, to go back to what you're saying about an anime, this is more like a slice of life anime that then at the very end crosses over with a completely different type of anime, completely different show, completely different film. And you just kind of get to go into that world for all of maybe 10 minutes. And then you're like, right, now we're going back to the cafe and we're going to pretend like that didn't happen because that's the whole point of his character. But it really did remind me of directed DVD films that used to be dime a dozen for one of a better phrase in the late 2000s early 2010s where the trailers would stuff it full of all of the best bits regardless if it was representative of the final film or not and then the actual film would not live up to the trailer even though they were good films and then in my opinion that led to a snowball effect of a lot of these directed dvd folks that work on these films not getting rehired because like well your films don't make any money but you're misrepresenting the film. And there were so many things that I picked up on that made me think this really feels like that it is a film from that era because some of the panning shots over the city really felt like it was just B-roll footage that somebody else had shot and then they you know, put on their film afterwards. A lot of the sound effects had that really weird droning melodramatic music that's like, is this music or is this just someone holding a key on a keyboard? But again, it was only when they were transitioning between scenes because it was a case of you could almost hear a voice in the background going, please don't notice that we can't afford to do these scene changes. We're actually shooting all of this in the same two locations, but shh. (laughs) But that's not a negative. I really like the fact that they were smart enough to write a script that was self-contained to only a handful of locations, but it almost felt like there was a producer going, we need to make it bigger to get people's interest. And I think you're absolutely right in that. No, they didn't need to. The fights that they had were 
really well done and we'll talk about them in a minute but also if it had all just taken place inside that cafe apart from the fight sequences i wouldn't have cared i didn't need to go to his apartment i didn't need to go outside and pretend like we're going across cities you know what i mean yeah no i you know it, it is always and, and that is the thing for people if you haven't seen it, i mean this movie was made i don't know what the actual budget was but it was a you know it was a dollar fifty a dozen pizzas and a case of beer uh is is what <laughs> you know because everybody in this movie for the most part is is part of sonomora's team they've worked with him before uh um Miyamoto Masanori, the uh, the main character, Takashi, you know, he's been a long time stunt and action guy in Japan. He's worked with Sonomura before. Um, and, and so a lot of this was them just deciding they wanted to get together and make a movie. Um, and I, 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 that's, you know, me, Scott, I love DTD. I love indie action. I mean, I love that. And I know you do, too. And so I do appreciate it, but there is a thing there that, that, yeah, when you've got a trailer that's trying to make a movie that is a bunch of friends, you know, over two weeks, uh, living on pizza and beer and, and doing, you know, choreography and stuff like that. You try and make that look like a John Wick movie, uh, that does set your audience up your potential audience up, I think for a bit of a letdown. And that was definitely part of it for me, because even when I first saw it, I had had so many people tell me and, and Lee was, you're right. Lee was really championing this back in 2019. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a bit of me that was also, I think a little bit disappointed by the movie when I saw it, because I was expecting a much more, I was expecting broken path. Um, and that is not, at all what this movie is uh except for four minutes at the end uh <laughs> four minutes at the end but also um earlier on you do get that lovely exchange between his successor and the villain in inverted commas of yeah this. yeah and those those are but but that is really and and that was one of the things i noticed on second rewatches or on rewatches how much more I enjoyed the anticipation of those fights coming because I knew they were coming, but also how much kind of sweeter they are. Uh, not sweet, like kind, but sweet is in like fucking sweet. Uh, <laughs> there isn't that much other action. In the yeah. movie. And where I thought that was a detriment the first time I watched the movie, I now think it's actually a strength, but you're right. That's not helped by a trailer. That's trying to paint this movie as, the next yeah broken path or drive or you know whichever pick whichever alpha yeah. stunts movie you want to pick you know trying to paint it as that it's it's not that um and it's not you know something like the rue any kenshin movies that have mega budgets and uh or or even some of say uh toxic gaguchi's movies where he's you know doing all this stuff it's a very different and and I think actually very interestingly unique beast and no pun intended common rider beast. But uh, I think that is what I love yeah. about it is it is that weirdly idiosyncratic kind of movie. Yeah, um, it's funny because before Christmas uh, Channel 4 here in the UK, I don't know if it's still there. Uh, probably won't be by the time you listen to this. But uh, me and my partner watched Takeshi Mike's uh, First Love. And 
considering that Hydra is kind of like the first film that I've watched since then in, of the same sort of genre, it's kind of interesting how much I've found some similarities. Yes, First Love had quite clearly a bigger budget and had a few more action sequences, but I also think it suffered from the exact same problem of a trailer that tried to make it look way more stylish than it actually was. But it feels like both filmmakers didn't want to be stuck in a box of this is the genre of film that I make and therefore everything I make will look like this. They both went, no, we can do the action, but we want to do this as well. And in order to get to the action, you need this in order for it to make sense. And even though, yeah, Hydra wasn't the film I thought it was going to be, I still really, really enjoyed what I actually got. And I think the only reason why I might have said at first, oh, we might have different opinions and it doesn't actually, it turns out we don't. But when I saw so many people commenting on your social media posts saying this is one of their favorite like action films of all time. And I'm going, oh, did I watch the right film? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think I think what people are really meaning when they say that is that it is a movie that they really like that has one of their favorite action scenes of all time. Um, because I think that yes. I, I think that's, you know, yes. because even the 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 fight with Yusuke and uh you know, the, the first of the big action scenes, even that's a little it's awesome. But but that last fight is is really just something that is so unique in action cinema. And I think we know I watch a lot of action cinema. Uh, yeah. you. Word has it. Apparently, I've developed a little bit of a reputation <laughs> for watching a lot of action scenes. Um, you know, one <laughs> of the things that. Uh, and I know you know this term, but people listening may not know is uh, one of the terms that you see a lot in action cinema is undercranking, uh, where, you know, things are shot at 24 frames a second. If you shoot them at 21 frames a second, it looks like everybody's moving faster uh, and most people won't notice it. But if you watch a lot of action cinema, uh, you can see the telltale signs of undercranking, primarily motion blur being the big one. Um and the thing that made me stand up in this last fight is how fast they go and there is no undercranking. And it has been confirmed there is no undercranking. They are just going that fast for four minutes. Um, and man, that's special. I mean, and I think that is the thing that makes people, when they're saying it's one of their favorite action scenes, I think it, it's hard for the the high of that scene not to like make you just remember the entire movie as being something different than what it is it is an quirky it's a yeah. fucking sundance movie with the best fight scene you've ever seen in your life tacked on at the end of it i mean that's really the best way to describe the movie yep do you know what's funny is and i'll be uh, may maybe one day i will uh see if i can rope him to come on and i will ask him if he's even seen this film but there is actually another film that this film reminded me of. And I almost feel like this is the film he was trying to make when he made it. And that's Death Grip. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of similar. I mean, not narratively, obviously, but a lot of similarities in terms of trying to be more than just a demo reel. Right. Like, like because, because Contour, yeah. I actually prefer Contour for people that don't know we're talking about Eric Jacobus movies. I actually prefer Contour to Death Grip. Um, <laughs> but 
Contour is much more of that traditional indie action demo reel kind of vibe, that broken path, unlucky stars kind of vibe. And Death Grip, he's really trying to do some stuff in it. And uh, and I don't I don't think it all totally works, which I would also be fine if somebody said they don't think Hydra all totally works. But I think the kindred spirit between the two movies is is very strong. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 even in the fights at the end, because obviously, if you've never seen Death Grip, guys, I might do an episode on Death Grip. I doubt it, but I might. <laughs> it has Johnny Young Bosch in it, who I'm a big fan of, and he is probably one of the most underrated martial artists on film I think we've ever had, because for whatever reason, people just will not cast him in stuff, which he has gone into at length, if you're interested mostly because of the fact he's half Asian and that really confuses casting people because they don't know whether to make him Asian or white, whatever. However, in this film, he's the bad guy. So him and Eric, you got a fight at the end. And I must admit when the fight at the end of Hydra happened, that was the scene that was going through my head. I was like, this feels so much like death grip, but this gets what I think death grip was trying to do. They wanted to tell a real story, but still deliver on the action premise. And I think, like you say, maybe there are bits of Hydra that I would have done differently or I don't think worked as well. But overall, I think Hydra achieves what it's set out to do. Well, and I think that's the thing I love about indie action in general is um, it's it's really hard not even if you don't like it. I mean, I, I watch a lot of indie action that I think is. Frankly, borderline terrible. And and, and if I if I do that. If I see one, there's there's one movie that came out this year in particular that I'm thinking of. Um, I don't talk about it. I don't even bring it up because I still always so admire the spirit of you and the lads uh, going out and setting up some cameras and trying to literally kill one another for however long your filming schedule is. And uh, in in. You know, it, it's hard. I don't I don't want to shit on that. I'd much rather shit on something like Mortal Kombat that had the budget and the talent and the money to know. Better. Um, <laughs> you know, it can take it. I'm, I'm not going to pick on. I, I said I wasn't going to say it, but just for people, I, I'm not going to pick on Alex Chung's contracts, um, even though I thought that movie was for me, not great. It did not work. I thought it was very amateurish, um, but. Alex Chung has done terrific stuff. He's a terrific stuntman. He's a terrific martial artist. And he made a movie. He went out there and he did the thing. So I did do a podcast on it. I didn't yeah. tweet about it. I tweeted that I was watching it and I tweeted nothing else about it. Um, and in fairness, I bought it. The only way I could see it was to buy it on Voodoo and I bought it. So whether I liked it or not, Alex Chung got my money. <laughs> but the, yeah. the thing for me is, 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 these all these indie action, low budget action movies are messy. They're never going to be perfect. What you have to look at it and go, does no. it achieve what it sets out to achieve? Does it try and do something different? Does it try and do something interesting? And does it ultimately entertain us? And I think Hydra ticks all those boxes. Uh, at least it does for me. Yeah, I mean, I will, I will quite happily say uh, to give a comparison before we start sounding like we're going off the deep end again, because we're not. This is all relevant to Hydra, people. Um, I own Unlucky Stars on Blu-ray. Um, I ordered it when they did that limited run. But I also have the original Vimeo release that they did, 
uh, that was video on demand. I still have that file because I downloaded it because that's what you did at once upon a time. Filmmakers started to release this stuff on Vimeo. And then that went away, but I still had my copy. And then they brought it back because of issues with licensing that uh, is too complicated to get into. But they did a director's cut version of it. So I bought that version as well. So I've bought Unlucky Stars three times and have like three different versions of it. And if Hydra ever figures out a way to release in the UK, I will happily buy it again on Blu-ray and a copy that works in my country. I must stress people of the internet because is that telling me it's out on Blu-ray is of no use to me. It doesn't play in my region, <laughs> but I agree with you. I think Hydra is worth watching and I think we can get into it a bit more now because I feel like we've danced around it for a while, but let's start with the fights and then retroactively go back to the non-action because I think like you said, the fights were the main selling point. So let's just talk about that to start off. Sonomura, Masanori, they've worked together for years. They, they, and they brought their team essentially. Um, But for people that haven't seen it yet, the entire thing about the fights is first of all, they're like we talked about, they're at, full speed yeah. essentially but they're also very um tactical very down and dirty a lot there's a lot of defensive movements in it a lot of uh redirecting uh you know redirecting punches and things away not like this very stylish you're you know nobody in this movie throws a roundhouse kick um nobody in this movie is doing big haymakers and stuff like that it's a lot of really in close a lot of really back and forth hand-to-hand kind of stuff um but a lot of it is about directing away you know somebody's coming at you um you're not doing these shaw brothers these old school shaw brothers kind of and people it's not video so people can't see but i'm doing the like you know where you do the yeah you know and they're all doing elaborate blocks and stuff like that it's it's much more fluid and it's much more about redirecting the person so that you can open up uh and you know sort of a point of attack and i'm i'm not a martial artist i have practiced it off and on at points in my life i know literally enough to get myself killed in a fight so i i I would never call myself a martial artist but of the stuff that i have practiced you know that's a much more realistic way of filming a fight because that's really what you are trying to do you're not going to do these elaborate blocks and stuff like that especially if you're talking stuff like um you know sort of some of your newer hybrid martial arts uh where they blend things like kali and jujitsu and jeet Kune do together and stuff like that yeah um and, and so i just i really thought that the choreography here if you can even call it choreography, I mean, I'm sure it's choreographed, but it feels so authentic that you're literally like, did Sonomura just tell these guys, like, just try and kill one another for four minutes? Uh, <laughs> I, and I mean, that's really the best compliment you can give to a fight scene, right? Is yeah. it looks like or not that it the best choreography doesn't look choreographed. And this movie absolutely nails that. Yes, um, I can remember <laughs> having a conversation that over years turned into an argument with my granddad about whether or not uh, fight scenes that Jackie did were choreographed because um, he read somewhere in a magazine that they weren't and that the, the people doing the fights just basically said, Jackie, go fight those guys. And it was all done live. And I'm like, no. <laughs> and uh, it's true of every fight scene ever made. Yes, there are 
fight scenes that are made on the fly and built one move after another. But most of the time, that's not how it's done. And like you said, I think that, that the fact that these look like actual fights done by superhumans, I will add, because no one in their real minds has the stamina that these guys do when they're going at it in a fight, especially if like the majority of us, you're not at the peak of physical human condition. You are not going for four and a half minutes like they do. And that's why it's so enjoyable. Um, I'm not uh, a master, so to speak, but I uh, have practiced Krav Maga for a while. And that, that, funnily enough, that joint system you just mentioned is something I'm actually hoping to start next year um, with pretty much those styles minus the uh, Kali, irritatingly. But um, I loved the choreography and more importantly, I love their execution. There were a lot of moments where I felt like if there had been lesser performers, it, it ran the risk of appearing like they weren't really hitting each other when they were doing body blows. And obviously there were points where they used knives and one of them had a screwdriver. And all of that just reminded me of real life altercations from where I grew up, where you weren't going to have these fancy over-the-top knives, but people who had screwdrivers and uh, it, it just made it feel very gritty in a way that I really enjoyed. And on top of that, I still enjoyed it, despite the fact I had an issue with it, <laughs> so, which is also a great compliment to the choreography, which is that I don't know who thought that it needed an over-the-top whooshing sound effect every time they move their arms, but I wouldn't have minded that. I wouldn't have minded going the full US Seals 2 route, but they only did it with the movement, not the impact. And that really confused my brain because they would go and then they'd hit each other, but there wouldn't be a. And I was like, what? Why are you only doing half the sound effects? This is torturing me. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 and I think that, um, you know, and that's, that's actually a common complaint that I've seen um, about this movie online is that um it, it does it does use very excessive whooshing effects um and uh i think the idea was they're trying to emphasize the movement and not the impact you know because one of the things that i love about this these fights is that you don't see in a lot of martial arts movies you know so much of actual proper self-defense is about not getting hit and, and so many fight movies and fight scenes are about who can take the most punches, who can who can get hit the hardest. And this one really does emphasize that whole idea of it's all about not getting hit. You know, the who gets hit less is who wins, not necessarily who does the more hitting, if yeah. that makes any. Uh, but I've certainly seen a lot of people criticize the whooshing. Um, I, I'm I'm just a sucker for whooshing. I'm always going to be a sucker for whooshing. Um, so for me, it didn't bother me at all. Uh, but I I think that's a perfectly fair and and reasonable criticism because it's definitely a very heightened, you know, sense. And it is a bit weird that you get the whooshes, but not the not the cracks of the impact. Um, you know, it's a stylistic choice, um, but I, I understand why that might not work for everybody. Uh, I will say, though, uh, this is why we have Michael on the podcast, ladies and gentlemen, because I like hearing the different perspectives and the different points of view. And it never occurred to me that the fact that they were trying to emphasize the movement of the style is the reason for that. It just uh, my brain automatically defaulted to someone didn't edit this very well. But that actually is a better answer. 
<laughs> and, 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 you know, I could be talking out of my ass. It may very well be that someone didn't edit it very well. That's just how I saw it. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I, when it comes to this kind of stuff, I'm always a very half full kind of guy. I always, I always try and assume that a decision that seems weird to me is a stylistic choice, not incompetence. Most of the time, it's probably actually incompetence, but um, I try and assume that it's a stylistic choice. I just find it's, um, I don't know, it's just its just how I look at movies most of the time, yeah. unless they're $70 million martial arts movies from Warner Brothers. I am not going to let Mortal Kombat go, man. I'm just going to keep shitting on that movie until the heat death of the universe. It can, it can be a recurring <laughs> joke for for now and for forever. If ever I want to get a hold of you, I'll just text, get over here. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Just quick, well, I say quickly, this one isn't going to be as long as the Spider-Man was, folks, because uh, the Spider-Man one, I feel like we could have gone on for hours and probably never stopped talking about it. This one doesn't have that problem. So I'm just curious, what were your thoughts on the actual story? of? The I film? think it's actually, I hate that every action movie gets compared to John Wick now. So with that being said, let me say... <laughs> I really liked the John Wick-esque nature of this movie in the regards that it very subtly builds and very specifically John Wick 1. Um, because obviously now that we're at John Wick 3 and 4 is coming out, they've got this whole elaborate mythology. But, you know, if you remember in the first John Wick, this whole world was it was pretty subtly introduced. Yeah. And, and I like that this movie kind of does that too. We've got these warring factions where we've got the Tokyo Life group that that Takashi works worked for initially, who is apparently they're hired by both the police and the like. They're like fixers is the gist I got got out of essentially that they're hired to take out corrupt people who are messing with the status quo. Uh, but then we've also got this other splinter group that's just assassins for hire. That's basically the Yakuza. And then we have all these corrupt cops and they're all this like this whole world is is very interesting. But I love that the movie doesn't really dwell on it. It gives us just enough for flavor because it doesn't lose sight of the fact that Hydra. I mean, the name of the movie is named for the restaurant in the movie. It doesn't lose sight of the fact that Hydra is um the most important part of the movie. It puts these things out in the, the margins to explain why Takashi's looking over Rina and why he feels so beholden to her and also why he's such a badass when it's time for him to actually go off. Uh, I, I, I liked it. And I really liked the, again, the sort of, I'm a sucker for the like guilty hero, you know, former bad guy, seeking atonement trope i'm just i'm just such a sucker for that and uh it, it's this movie has that in spades how about you man what do you think well first of all i'm i'm so shocked that you enjoy that when you uh said how much you enjoyed daredevil and his guilt so i'm so shocked to hear that you enjoy bad guys that are wrestling with their struggle to atone <laughs> I, I love a good redemption story, man. I just, I am a sucker for a good redemption story. It, 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 that shit is like heroin to me. Just inject it straight into my veins. It's funny, actually, because uh, just before I say my thoughts on Hydra, I, I genuinely believe that that is the reason why I love the first Expendables so much more than arguably the better second one. But the first one is the redemption story for all of them. And 
The second one is just an action film. Yes, it's a better film in almost every way, but the first one has that story of redemption. And I agree with you. I think redemption stories, uh, whether they're played seriously or even if they're just an excuse to kill a lot of people in really interesting and fascinating ways, it's one of the few narrative triggers that I think everybody can relate to. Everybody has something that they wish they hadn't done or everyone has something that they think, yeah, I wish I could make up for that, even if they don't talk about it or admit it to other people. I think we're all human. Everyone makes mistakes. So everyone has that one thing that they think about and go, I wish I could do something about that or I wish I could go and change that. So stories like this one where you see the thing that he wishes he hadn't done or that he thought about more. And then the entire film is based around he is essentially in his penance trying to stop the thing that he did from happening again because again we're going to spoil the film folks which by this point you should know and you shouldn't be listening to me if that bothers you but we find out that Tagashi basically killed Rina's dad and it's because of the organization that he worked for the Tokyo Life Group but the reasons I think I'm understanding this right the reasons that he was given for why they killed Rina's father were false and that's when they discovered that they were actually being manipulated by this second group. And so you get a story that we have arguably seen in a lot of films that involve assassins and secret groups. But I really like the way it was executed here with one pin I'm going to put in the board that I'm going to come back to in a second. Um, but I really enjoyed the actor for the way he portrayed somebody that is trying to just do one thing with his life like I got the distinct impression that if Rena didn't need him I don't think he would still be alive when you see him alone in his home the only thing he owns is a table with the knife of his mentor and Rena's father in it and even though it's not said it's not really implied the way he acts out that scene of looking at the knife yes he's sad and yes he's quite clearly emotional about it but I genuinely think that if Rena wasn't there he'd have used the knife and just taken the easy way out I mean I, I think that's certainly a valid interpretation you know and that's again one of the things I love about this movie because it is so sparse and it is so spare in how much of this backstory it spells out um, I, I think that's a completely reasonable and realistic interpretation of it because yeah, he's got, there's nothing in his apartment. You know, we get the, we get the dripping, he's got to have the dripping water faucet because as we learn, he was brought into this organization as an orphan and he was stuck in this room with dripping where it was water was dripping into a bucket. So he can't like sleep or, or function without the dripping water. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, he's a jacked up character. Like, there's a whole lot of mess going on in him. Um, and, and that's, I do, I really, it didn't hit for me the first time, but I really loved the end this time when he comes in and uh, Kamen Rider Beast is trying to say, he's trying to be more like Takashi. And you see him, he just gets the faintest smile and they're all like, did Takashi smile? I didn't think he could even do that. I found that really heartwarming this time um, yeah. for me. Um, again, he's he's this mess of a, he's an absolute mess. He's a broken human being. Um, and I, so I'm with you. It's, you know, Rena paying his debt and protecting Rena is what gives him purpose. 
but he ends the movie feeling a bit more like part of a family than just a protector. Um, yep. And I, again, that's also the shit, you know, the chosen family, the found family kind of thing. You give me a redemption arc with found family, like just, just both things just light me up. I will, uh, I will, I will go out uh rock star style on that uh, on that kind of uh that kind of arc in a movie yeah so what you're basically saying is is that when you come back for the third time we're talking about unleashed <laughs> uh, you, you i well have you listened to my episode on unleashed i fucking I have love. <laughs> i will talk for hours yeah. about it yep absolutely and oh. that is that is kind of maybe the platonic ideal of sort of that stuff right yeah um but my pin, uh, there is one part of this film, story-wise, that just confused me. And I looked at a few comments and so many people seem to be in the same boat as I, which is that the person that manipulated the life group uh, was seemingly killed by Takashi, our main character. And then it's revealed that, no, he's alive and he's the head of this other group that spun off and now just basically become assassins for hire that never really gets explained or addressed and then he just essentially runs off into the sunset going ha 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 you'll never catch me twirling his mustache and then that's it there's no, no explanation and i saw so many comments of people like wtf and someone actually put was that like hoping that it will get a second film and that that's what it was like you know sequel bait but i don't know it just felt so out of place like you really didn't need that that moment just the revelation that he was still alive just seeing the ring on his finger that was kind of like a, oh okay but then to actually get that whole sequence where they have this weird mini confrontation he shoots someone he dodges a bullet out of nowhere I will add, just completely destroying the realism of the film that we both said we liked, and then just leaves. It's like... <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's that's the false note in the movie. Um, it's sequel bait. I mean, I, I don't think there's any any other way you can describe it. It's it's straight up sequel bait. Um, <clears throat> I think if you're trying to, you know, if somebody's trying to come up with some other explanation for it. Uh, you're trying too hard. I, I think it's simply a matter of them just trying to establish some sequel bait. I think it. I think it feels weird too. Um, it's it's not it's not the part of the movie that I think works great. Uh, it's fine. It's relatively like everything in the movie. It's relatively short, so it doesn't. You know, for me, it doesn't really super detract from the overall movie. But uh, I got I got nothing. I got nothing to counter everything you just said. I I agree with what you just said completely yeah like i said it, it didn't ruin the film for me but i was kind of just sat there like what just happened i feel like we just went into a completely different film <laughs> yeah but, it's mega weird. Yeah. it's mega because yeah it just uh, again that's I, I i do think the john wick comparison is fair here that Sonomura is clearly trying to, he wants to build, he's got more ideas for this world that Hydra takes place in. This isn't a self-contained movie. He's got more ideas. And so I think part of that was maybe his imagination, his, his grandiose plans for what the Hydra universe could look like might've gotten the better of him or something, because 
I definitely do think that doesn't help the movie, that whole confrontation. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, the other guy is actually Kensuke Sonomura. Um, they, it, it, it doesn't work and it kind of bogs down the climax of the movie a little bit, I think. So um, not great. Don't love it. Uh, would be fine if it wasn't in there and then we'd even get it. But there is also part of this that I do wonder. I was I just thought of this. Movies have to be a certain length for theatrical distribution. And so I'm also wondering if maybe even they thought, again, trying to be optimistic here, they were like, well, this isn't going to necessarily work. But if we cut it out, we're dropping below feature uh, cinematic length. We need to we need to leave this stuff in because we're not going to hit 77. You know, I think it's it's got to be at least 77 or 78 minutes for a movie to be considered. Don't quote me on that number, but for a movie to be considered a feature, at least in U.S. distribution. Yeah, yeah. uh, So it might be one of those things where they're kind of like, well, you know, because we get those whole opening credits, too, of uh, the cleaner just driving and it's great we got a great synth wave beat to it and stuff and it's very cool and neon it looks a lot like drive but yeah it's also completely unnecessary because it doesn't advance the narrative in any particular form but it's one of those things where it's like oh but no they need those long credits uh i remember talking to to scott adkins about close range and him talking about the reason that close range just, has just casually re- dropped that in there. I, I, I remember talking to Scott Atkins. Well, <laughs> well, I was going to say Scott, but you're also Scott. I don't want people to get confused. So this is Scott. Yeah, no, I um, didn't work on uh, close range. <laughs> talking about why it has those really long animated opening credits is because they had to do that to get it to feature length because the movie came in way shorter than they were expecting it to. Um, And so I do wonder if there's part of that as to why some of those things that were kind of like, why is this even in here or what are they doing? It might just simply be, they needed to get it to feature length. That is, that is a great point. Again, I didn't, uh, if I knew that once upon a time, it is information that has since exited my head. I have seen some, I think in these days as well, because of like streaming services, I see so many things now that are weird links that, that sort of old fashioned way of thinking that a film must be a certain length just doesn't even occur to me as it once would have. Um, so yeah, that that's probably actually a really valid point. I mean, in a perfect world, you'd have liked to think they could have just given us another fight sequence, but that would have taken a lot longer to film. Whereas what they did instead is probably the simpler solution. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, a movie like this, they're, they're probably not shooting a ton of coverage and they're probably not shooting a ton of superfluous scenes. So when they do an edit and it comes in short, they probably don't have a lot of additional, you know, footage to work with. So they kind of just have to put back in whatever they've got. Yeah. And uh, go with it. Well, then there you go. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the film. Like I say, um, I wasn't, I didn't feel like it was one of my, all-time favorites because i i actually messaged a, a mutual friend afterwards and that was uh Shafi, and i said to him you know uh i enjoyed it but it's not going into any of my top 10 lists anytime soon <laughs> and uh so he was like oh is it that bad i'm like no it's not bad it's just that i can list you 10 films that i would rather watch again and so can most people because most of them a lot of them came out this year which is kind of impressive considering the year we've actually had yeah, I mean, if we're if we're if I'm doing a 
Well, certainly if I'm doing just a straight top 10, it's not in my top 10 this year. If I'm even doing an action top 10, it's probably not making it in my action top 10. Um, if it does, it's probably coming in at like 10, but that's fine. It was actually a surprisingly terrific year for action cinema. So, um, you know, the fact that it's not going to make my top 10 in a year where we have things like Ruin and Kenshin, the final and raging fire and one shot yep. and uh, the paper tigers and, and, and all of these things. It's like, that's no shame on Hydra that it's just, it was actually a pretty terrific year for action cinema. I, I thought. Exactly. That was the point I was trying to make. It's like, I think partly because so many people were raving about it and partly because you know these days you uh, something that we've talked about a few times is you you either love something or you hate something you're not allowed to just think it's okay or not pick a side um everybody wants to know like where you rank something or what you think of something and it's like it was okay like i enjoyed it i would i'm never gonna put it in any of my top action films but I would still recommend people go and watch it, but just know that going into it, you're more watching a character piece on this person dealing with their issues and their demons and how they work through it. And at some point while they're working through it, one of the ways they deal with it is by punching someone repeatedly until they're dead. And I liked that bit, but it wasn't the main focus of the film. Well, and we really, I just really wish we would accept and i feel like this is a relatively new phenomenon but maybe it's not i really wish we would just accept that most movies are fine right like most movies are varying degrees of fine they're good fine or bad fine but they're fine and and hydra is good fine it's it's good even but yeah it doesn't not every movie needs to be your favorite movie of all time and I, I I'm a very enthusiastic movie watcher when I when I love a movie I tend to love it with my whole heart but I know that that's just me um I don't expect other people to necessarily go along with that like if somebody told me no way home was fine uh they liked it great that's awesome that's good for you um I'm glad I'm glad you did you know and if you didn't like it okay, but we're going to disagree, but that's also cool. But like, yeah, not everything has to, we always act like every damn movie now is a referendum on the state of cinema or something. <laughs> and, and to do that with something like Hydra, that again is a movie that was made for like a buck 50, some pizzas and a 12 pack of beer is really an unfair weight for people to be putting on the movie. It's a little indie drama with a couple of incredibly game-changing kick-ass action scenes. And that's all I think the movie sets out to be. Anything else that people want to elevate it to, you know, that's on them. That's not the movie. Yep. Um, no, 100% yeah. agree. So, I, uh, it's... It, go on. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, but I still think it's a, from both of us, it's a recommendation. People should check it out. It's, yeah. it's worth you know, but I agree with you. Know what you're getting into. Know what the movie that you're about to watch actually is. And it is definitely not the movie that you're expecting based on the trailer. I think it, it just to, just before we wrap up, because I think we're about done. This, uh, this actually speaks to a problem that I've noticed since I've started rating a lot of films on Letterboxd, which I'm actually thinking it was you that was introduced me to that platform. And then I didn't use it for a while. And then I've just started because 
the biggest help for that is that I can remember what I've seen because Jesus, the amount of films I forget. That's why I do it. I don't give a shit if people like my reviews or anything like that. For me, it's all about being like, have I seen this movie or not? Because at this point, I'm 45 years old. I've watched a lot of goddamn movies in my life. I cannot remember them all anymore. I used to have a mind like a steel trap. Not only can I tell you every movie I've seen, I can tell you when and where I saw it. Yeah, that's gone now. Now I need Letterboxd to tell me what I watched six months ago, let alone years ago. Yeah, but I also think some of that is due to the fact that because of the way the last two years have been, people's consumption of media is far higher than it's ever been. Streaming platforms have everything available. You know, today, for example, at the time of recording, it is the 31st of December. Cobra Kai season four just came out. And I already have seen people tell me that they've seen the entire thing. It just came out today. Even if I could do that, which I couldn't, I still wouldn't because I don't want to burn through it in one day, but that is the world we live in now. Everyone, the second something is out, you must watch it. You must have thoughts on it. And which side of the fence do you sit on? Did you like it or did you hate it? And that's going to decide going forward who is going to interact with you online. And that's one of the reasons why until I started interacting with Action Twitter, I very rarely posted what I thought of films and TV online because I know for a fact some of my opinions will not go down well with people and other opinions that I think are completely harmless will still find somebody that doesn't like it. And that happened to some friends of ours quite recently where they managed to tweet something out at no one, but someone found it, sent it to the people they knew wouldn't like it and then brought them all in to have a go at them. Yeah, it, it happens. You know, it, it ter- Twitter has become a, um, just absolutely terrifying app for me to use just for that very reason. Uh, I find myself prefacing almost everything that I say, um, you know, because you just never know when somebody is going to call down a dog pile on you. And, and so many of our friends have had that happen to them where they've just walked into, um, you know, something where they make one statement about, you know, whatever, some group, say Snyder Bros, notorious for this, right? Um, they make one statement about them or they make a statement like right now, currently on Twitter, the thing is don't look up and Adam, like people are oh, harassing, dogpiling people over a fucking Adam McKay movie. Are you kidding me right now with this shit? The guy that made Talladega Nights has stands who will harass people. Okay, but that I mean, but the the app, you know, that's a that's a feature, not a bug in Twitter. They want that. That's what they want. And and also, sorry, um, I don't think it's necessarily that he has stands. I think it's that the people that are saying these things have haters. And I don't mean the word haters is in like a really simple thing. What I mean is, is that there are people out there that are deliberately disagreeing with them because they are saying something It doesn't matter what that person's opinion is. Whatever they say, these people will disagree with it. They have come to the party with a Google and a knife and a fork to go, right, what have this person said? Cool, let me Google it. What's the opposite opinion? Excellent. This is what I think. And they just regurgitate whatever the opposite is. Because I have seen that with so many topics. And it's so difficult now to have any kind of nuanced conversation because I see it from both sides of the fence where... Unless you're on their side of the fence, they're not interested. doesn't matter what your opinion is. It's just, no, shut down. Get out of here. 
And that's a totally different topic for a different podcast, but one I will happily rant about anywhere, but not here. However, <laughs> got to go very off topic there. The reason why I brought it up is because Hydra is a tiny indie film. And if I was to put a review in stars on Letterboxd, which I've just this second realized as I'm speaking, I haven't done. But, but when I do, I know that some people are going to be like, why did you rate that higher than, say, Shang-Chi? For sake of argument, that's just what's the first thing that popped into my head. And it's like, well, because Shang-Chi was a multi-million dollar movie by one of the biggest corporations on the planet. I expect higher standards of it. because Just because I rate a film four or five stars, which you, I will often do, and they're these tiny indie films, it's because the fact that they exist in of itself is an achievement. Shang-Chi is not an achievement. It's phase four Marvel. It's like a cookie cutter standard now. It's all polyester wrapped and ready to go out the box. The fact that it does some other stuff that allegedly is, you know, groundbreaking, so I'm told, is irrelevant. The actual format and the template is there ready for them to go, as was the money. It's not as impressive when they do it and usually do it worse. Thank you. Yes, 100%. I have always argued we should grade movies on a curve. Degree of difficulty matters. Something like Hydra, even existing, you said it perfectly, is a fucking miracle, right? And so if you look at the way, if you look at the way I rate DTV and indie action, it is way out of scale with the way I rate a lot of studio product. Because for that very reason, if if I can watch a movie that was made for a buck fifty. And it entertains me and it manages to entertain me more than any of the studio martial arts movies that we got this year. Uh, yeah, I'm giving that thing four stars, right? Like at 100%, I'm giving that. I'm not a professional critic. I'm not getting paid for this shit. I'm going to rate it based on, you know, all of my letterbox reviews are all just my gut feelings about how I feel about the movie. I, I tend to not rate too much stuff sort of in that squishy middle because it's a gut feeling. If I really like a movie, I really like it. And if I don't like a movie, I really don't like it. And, and they're mostly for me to remind myself when I go back and I'm scrolling through my diary, if I see I rated something like the castle freak remake half a star, it's just a reminder in case somebody starts talking to me about it, you know, and they're saying that they really liked it. I'm not going to disagree with them. That's their prerogative. But if I'm like, oh, well, they maybe I should revisit that. And then I go and see I rated it a half a star. And I go, no, I fucking hated this thing. <laughs> and uh, I don't want to rewatch it again. So I'm not going to, you know. Um, but like Hydra, I actually bumped my Hydra rating up. I had rated it, I think, either three or three and a half stars after first watch. And I after last night, I bumped it up to four because I, I got four stars worth of enjoyment out of watching it the second time. Um, and I do that a lot. I go back and I adjust my ratings up and down, depending on how I'm feeling at the time when I watch the movie. Yeah. Some movies better on rewatches. Some get worse. You're not set in stone. Again, we're not professionals. We're not getting paid for this. No. Uh, but some treat us like we are. Like I put out an opinion and some people treat me like I'm like I have any clout whatsoever. Like I run a friggin podcast. Like I got no clout. Like I mean. <laughs> I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna Toby Maguire you there and be like, now you gotta work on that self-talk, bro. You definitely have a bit more clout than the average person who's making a podcast with a legit film director, another really good film critic that's 
talks about films and has previously had one of the biggest action stars feature on pretty much all of the podcasts he's made. So don't doubt yourself, man. You do have some clout. I'll give you that. I do. I do. And I have some I have developed over the last couple of years a bit of credibility. But ultimately, it's still just my opinion. You know, oh, yeah. I, I'm not I, I didn't go to film school. I didn't go to journalism school. I mean, critics that people like to to rail on, they, they've put the time and the work in to do this stuff. I'm just a guy that watches a lot of fucking Scott Adkins movies. Like, I don't I don't See, actually know anything. The, th- right? the thing it, is, though, is I would rather listen, and we're really going off topic now, but we've started this, so we're going to finish it. Uh, I would rather listen to the opinion of someone that has watched a lot of Scott Adkins films and can tell me a lot about Scott Adkins films than a critic that has never seen a Scott Adkins films, does not know what a Scott Adkins is, but can tell me that the color palette of the film was exceptional and that the prose were wonderfully digested. And I felt refreshed watching the different techniques of the camera work as it panned glissfully over the sweat of the torso's body. You know, it's like, I don't care about any of that, mate. Majority of people watching films don't. This is why there's such a big divide between us. It's the same argument I've had with people that have published books. I know so many authors that can put you in the world of the book that they have written within the first few pages, and 99% of people have never read them because they're not an established name. But the people that went to school to learn how to do this properly, they're sat right next to them, both watching the person that wrote Fifty Shades of Grey make millions and signing their books. And that book wouldn't even get graded an A in a high school English paper. No, 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 not at all. No, and that's the thing. That's why I do try and stay in my lane. Um, Because, yeah, I'm pretty confident in seeing that I am... I'm not trying to be arrogant here, but I think I'm probably one of the five foremost experts on Scott Adkins in the world. So I feel pretty confident when I talk about Scott Adkins that I, I do have credibility there, right? I do have, uh, I mean, I know his movies better than he does. <laughs> the amount of times I've talked to him about movies, he's like, that happened in that movie? Really? I don't even remember that. Um, you know, uh, but I, I'm not going to talk about and then that's why I don't talk about things like fancy dramas because I watch plenty of those too. But I, that's not my lane. I don't. I don't have the knowledge base to be able to really talk about those. Those are a lot more just I liked it. I didn't like it. You know, kind of yeah. thing. I'm like, um, we are going off, and we got to wrap this up. But I just the last point is just I, I just watched Encanto, uh, the Disney movie with the music by Lin Manuel. Manuel Miranda and absolutely adored it just absolutely adored it but I don't really have you know it's a very it's a it's a movie very focused on Latinx culture and stuff like that and I don't I don't I I mean I can talk about I loved the movie and I thought the music was good but I I can't pick apart that movie the way that I can pick apart a fight scene like I can in Hydra and talk I just I don't have that that frame of reference. And so I stick to my wheelhouse mostly. I think when people get in trouble is when they don't stick to their wheelhouse and they try and talk with some sense of authority on something that they don't really know a ton about. And does that yeah, make sense? No, it does. It does perfectly. That's 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 a great way of saying it. It's eloquent yet short. <laughs> something that this podcast is very much struggling to do. <laughs> you know we get going it is what it is so but 
on that note, I do actually think we need to wrap this up because uh, as we talked about when we started recording, I've got a bunch of snow. No, so, no, no, that's uh, fine. I was just going to say the same thing as well. Our talk on Hydra had already come to an end. I was literally going to say that will about do it. And then somehow we started talking about this. And then here we are. <laughs> and we vowed when we talked the last time that we were not going to go longer than the length of the movie. And we are not as yet at the length of the movie but we are getting real okay close. <laughs> let's let's cut, cut it right there then folks thank you very much to mike for joining me it has been an absolute blast i hope that you will return and don't get bored of coming back here we will try and make podcasts that are under an hour but i'm not making any promises yeah and i'm not making any promises with me as a guest that you'll be able to uphold <laughs> that either because i tend to this is this has been a blast <laughs> scott always Anytime you want me back, just let me know. I'll be back. Thank you very much, Mike. See you later. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That was Hydra. Thank you very much to Mike for coming back so soon and being so enthusiastic of wanting to come and talk more films. I guarantee you that that is not the last time you will hear him. He will 100% be back for more. Next week, however, we're going to have a different guest. We're going to have my new and good friend, Andy Gorham. He has spoken on other people's podcasts before, and he and I got together and we discussed the Yunbu Cynthia Rothrock absolute madness that is writing wrongs. It is a good old-fashioned 1980s kung fu classic, but it's different than a lot of 1980s kung fu films. Writing wrongs has a much darker tone, and it took me by surprise because it is the first time that I had actually been able to see the entire film from start to finish. I'd previously seen clips of it and I think you guys are gonna thoroughly enjoy our discussion about it because yeah it is very different to a lot of the other classic Hong Kong action films that were coming out at the time and I think it was a sign of things to come. It definitely feels like a precursor to darker films that you're gonna get later on to some of the more gunfu heavy films and uh, yeah if you haven't seen it and you want to prepare you know what we're gonna watch so I'll see you there. But until then, guys, thank you very much for getting into the action with me, Scott Wiley, on the Action Addicts podcast. And thank you very much once again to my friend Mike Scott for joining me. If you haven't checked out his podcast from the last time he was on, then what are you doing with yourself? Feel free to go do so. It's the Action for Everyone podcast, formerly known as the Adkins Undisputed podcast. And I have no doubt that you will enjoy his content if you've not given it a go before now. But that's going to be it for me, guys. See you in the next one. On the Action Addicts podcast. Okay.